0: All right, if you've uh, got your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and turn back to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to supplement that with the Song of Solomon a little bit today, but turn back to the book of Proverbs. As you're finding your way in Proverbs chapter 24, where we began last week, also place a finger in Proverbs chapter 5, and be ready to flip the pages a little bit, as well as look at the... um, Book of the Song of Solomon, that beautiful love song. And uh, as you're finding your place there, uh, I'll remind you, as you've already heard, we've got mid-year conference tonight. We won't keep you long. We do have some refreshments uh, that will tie you over till dinner time for those of you who come before dinner, but we'll uh, uh, be here at 6. We won't keep you that long tonight, but we do need to get our ministry placement team as well as uh, present to you our uh, stewardship team that's part of the uh, uh, future facility growth here at Trinity, and so that stewardship team will be put in place tonight. And You found your place there in Proverbs uh, chapter twenty-four, and then we will flip over to chapter five, verses fifteen through uh, twenty in chapter five. But Proverbs twenty-four, three and four it says, "A house is built by wisdom, and it is established by understanding. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with every precious and beautiful treasure." So. This wisdom, this knowledge, all of that we have said in Proverbs and in the wisdom and poetic literature, uh, even including Song of Solomon and some of the other wisdom passages, give us wisdom to help us to have a better home, right? A better family situation when we apply God's wisdom. Let's turn over to chapter 5 now, verses 15 through 20, as it speaks directly to a marriage and romance. And not only that, but in the context of avoiding that which would destroy that. Now, next Sunday, we'll come back and look more at the context. We'll look at some other chapters that have to do with those things that want to destroy your home. But today, let's talk about, from the positive aspect, what God intended it to be. And so the writer places in verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow into the streets, streams of water in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers, Lest your, or let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. He says, a loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breasts always satisfy you, be lost in her love. Some translations say, be intoxicated with that love forever. Why, my son, should you be infatuated with a forbidden woman or embrace the breast of a stranger? Speaking of that adulterous relationship that would want to attack the home. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit give us the words to speak this morning, but also understanding of the very word that you have given us. May we not shy away from what the Word of God says about marriage and says about family. But, Lord, give us great sensitivity to those who might be going through one of the most difficult seasons of life right now and make your love, your presence, very real for them as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. While I speak a, a word of encouragement to couples today, to married couples, let me just preface my remarks by saying to the singles, those who are young and single and never married, those who are single again, Uh, either widows or widowers, or maybe you went through a a tragic divorce that you never planned, you uh, never saw it coming, let me just tell you this morning that God's word is also a word of encouragement to you because it reflects some things about our relationship with God. And whether you're married or single this morning, if we're not satisfied with who we are in Christ, if we're not satisfied and passionately in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll miss everything else anyway. And so we need to see that he is our source He is our sufficiency, and so I believe that God has a word by his Spirit, even in ways that I can't get my mind around. Sometimes when I'm greeting people on the way out, they'll tell me what God said to them in the message, and I'm thinking, I I didn't mention that. As a matter of fact, that had nothing to do with what my sermon was about, but I know that everybody in every season and station in life this morning that the Holy Spirit has something for you. Now, I I was reading an article where pastors sent in Uh, funny stories about weddings that they had done or weddings that they were asked to do. You know, we don't have to do all of them that we're asked to do, right? Sometimes I do have to remind people I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not a justice of the peace. And so if this is not a wedding or a a marriage that is intentionally biblical, what God has designed, I have the right to say, uh, then I'm not called to do this particular wedding. But these pastors wrote in some funny stories and and I could tell some funny stories, but some of you might be here this morning, so I won't tell those. I'll share what another pastor wrote in. He said he was asked to come to the nursing home because he had an elderly member there, and that elderly man wanted to be married to another lady that he had met in the nursing home. And when he got there, he just asked him, he says, this lady, you want, you want me to officiate this wedding? Do you know her well? He said, well, not really that well yet. He said, well, do you love her? He said, I... I think so, the best I I can. And he says, does does she have a lot of money or something? He said, not really. No, not as much money as I've put away. Is is she a lot younger than you or something? Oh, no, no, she's a lot older than me. And every question he asked, he he, he was trying to find out, why do you want to marry her? And so he finally just said, what is it about her that's so attractive? He said, she still has permission to drive at night. (laughs) Well, we laugh at that, but let me ask you this. Why did you get married? Or if you want to be married one day, why do you want to be married? That's a question that I'll ask couples when they come and meet with me for premarital counseling. Uh, Why do you want to get married? And usually you get this one answer. And though it's a great answer, I'm going to tell you this morning it's not a sufficient answer. Here's the one answer we usually get. Because we love each other, right? Because we love each other. And sometimes they know what love is and sometimes they don't. Because we're good together. Because we can't live without each other. But then it comes back, no, 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 I'm not asking how you feel about each other. I'm asking, why do you want to get married? Can you love each other and not be married? Why do you want, in other words, the word why means for what purpose, for what purpose do you want to be married? Nothing makes life more satisfying than purpose. That's why back in the late 90s, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose-Driven Life, was such a bestseller is because it gives us a new passion, it gives us something to strive for, it gives us something to, to make our life meaningful, and so if we want our marriage to last, if we want our family to be all it can be, and if we don't want to lose our passion for it, in other words, we want to be, want it to be something we're striving to see it be at its best all the time, then we have to understand that just as nothing makes life more satisfying than purpose, nothing makes your marriage more satisfying than to understand the purpose of your marriage, the biblical purpose for the Christian marriage And then to know that those feelings of love can come and they can go and they can come again. One of the wonderful things about marriage is that when it comes to the emotional side, you can fall in love again and again and again with the same person. But the purpose never changes, it becomes part of your life mission. And that should influence your marriage and your decision to get married. The Bible covers the purpose of marriage from cover to cover. I mean, really, it's a book all about marriage. From the very beginning, when he created man and said it's not good for him to dwell alone, he started civilization with a marriage, the marriage of Adam and Eve. And from Genesis on through the Old Testament, we see this family experiment, which really was an experiment. God knew what he was doing. We just had to figure it out along the way. Through the Old Testament writings, we see beautiful love stories and stories of marriage and and family and all the dysfunctions that the sin-fallen world brought to that and how God redeems that. When we get to the prophets, God reminds us that marriage was intended in the Old Testament all along to be a picture of God's covenant love for Israel. And so when Israel had turned her back on God, it became a bad picture of the marriage relationship, God's covenant relationship with God in Israel. But God, even using a prophet like Hosea, would illustrate, no, you go and you get her and you buy her back, you redeem her, you restore her. And so in the same way God was saying, that's what my covenant relationship with Israel is going to be like. I'm not finished with her. I'm going to restore her and return her to a right relationship with myself. We get into the New Testament, and the story starts with two parents, right? Right? It starts with Mary and with Joseph, even though he wasn't the biological father of Jesus. He was certainly the earthly father of Jesus. But we start with Mary and Joseph and a family. The very first miracle Jesus would perform would be at a wedding of all places. We see the church being called the bride of Christ. So just as in the Old Testament marriage was to be a picture of God's covenant love for Israel in the New Testament, marriage should be a picture of Christ and his covenant love for the church and the church and how it responds to Christ. And so Paul would tell the church at Ephesus, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, honor and respect your husbands as the church does so to Christ. And then when it all comes to an end, when, when, when the world as we know it, as R.E.M. would sing, the end of the world as we know it, when, when this world comes to an end and we are gathered together in glory, what's the church going to be experiencing? The marriage supper of the Lamb, the great, greatest wedding reception you've ever been a part of. And so marriage is cover to cover. The wisdom literature in the Old Testament puts purpose to poetry, if you will. In fact, about one-third of the Old Testament is poetry. And so it adds music to the message. It causes the purposes of marriage to dance when we read about them. It brings in the whole idea of romance being a way that we celebrate that relationship. And too many try the latter without the former. In other words, too many people try to experience the love and the romance and everything else and they forget the purposes and the big picture. So this morning, as we look at the book of Proverbs and briefly look at the Song of Solomon, this great love song in the Old Testament, I, I, I want us to do so with the idea of what the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation teaches us about the purpose of marriage. And how does this wisdom and poetry and music cause our marriage to really dance and live out this purpose? Well, let's look at these purposes that that the whole of Scripture teaches us. Number one, the purpose of marriage is to picture God's covenant relationship with his own people. As I said before, Jehovah and Israel in the Old Testament, Christ and his church in the New Testament. Uh, God's covenant relationship with his own people. Our marriage is a covenant relationship, There should not be for the Christian what we would call a marriage contract. It is not a contract, it is a covenant relationship where we covenant ourselves together. And so we're told to nurture that. Drink water from your own cistern, we read earlier in Proverbs 5 15. Water flowing from your own well. Covenant faithfulness. It was this, he was saying, Son, there are going to be other wells that you might desire, but you be faithful to your own wife. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Paul would later tell the church at Corinth when it came to husbands and wives, men, you don't own yourself anymore. You belong to her. Now, ultimately, this is with understanding that we already belong to Christ. But there's a certain stewardship. And it tells the ladies, listen, if you're married, you're not your own anymore. You belong to him. You are God's man for this woman, man, and she is God's woman for you. And it is quite all right, even encouraged, even in public, for you to make certain that you communicate we belong to each other. We belong to each other. And you protect that and you guard that because you are in covenant relationship with one another, staying faithful to one another, staying exclusive for one another, to have eyes and a heart for each other and each other alone, making no apologies for that. Now look how the music adds to that in in the poetry of God's Word. In Proverbs 31, we saw a little bit of this last week with the Proverbs 31 woman, but in Proverbs 31, verses 10 and 11, it says, Who can find a capable, that word means virtuous or one of noble character, a capable wife, for she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, so now he he treasures her, but he trusts her because he knows that she values the covenant." because together they have determined to picture God's covenant relationship in this world to show the love of Christ to their children, to the next generation, and to all those who are observing. The heart of her husband is trusting in her, and he will not lack any good thing because of this covenant relationship. You skip down to verses 28 through 30. Her sons rise up and call her blessed. Her husband praises her. He says, many women are capable but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What a a young man was encouraged to look for by the author of Proverbs here was find you a woman of God because that, that beauty on the inside, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember, it adds such a beauty and a character to her life and you will fall more in love with her and more in love with her when you're attracted to the right things. Now, Sometimes those young men will come to me, especially when I was a, a youth pastor, and you say, what are you looking for? And they would say, well, number one, she better be pretty. <laughs> and I usually say this, if you're going to marry for looks, if you're going to marry for looks, and listen, I, I know we all, every one of us men in here married up, did we not? If you're going to marry for looks, I said, marry her for what her mom looks like. And then go ahead and marry her for what her grandmother looks like, because one day that's what she's going to look like. And sometimes you'd see the look on their face like, uh-oh, I don't, I don't, know. I don't know about that. And then there was all, this one kid in the youth group said, man, my girlfriend's mom is hot. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought his girlfriend was going to slap him so hard when he said that. <laughs> a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. A covenant relationship, a marriage for a lifetime. So it pictures this impeccable loyalty. The Song of Solomon, the most beautiful, romantic, sensual love song probably ever written by the wisest man who ever lived, expresses loyalty that pictures God's love. And and in Solomon's life, when he had it right, you know, he, he was given a lot of wisdom, but he still had to learn a lot of things the hard way. And he reflects on, remember when I was doing things right God's way? And and, and there wasn't the 700 wives and 300 concubines. That was never God's plan. Don't ever let anybody try to tell you, well, if you believe the Bible, then you believe that you can marry as many women as you want to marry. The Bible never endorsed that. It it tells us of heartache and heartbreak that came with that. But as he reflects on when it was right, we see in in chapter 8 this recommitment to vows later in the marriage. He says, Set me as the seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Ardent love is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. He was saying, what is it about true love is that it does not give up. It is unrelenting, it is unquenchable, it's undeniable Because it's something that only God can establish. Back in chapter 2 of Song of Solomon, when you go back to the beginning of that marriage, she says, this Shulamite woman says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Now those of you who grew up in the country churches of northeast Georgia, you thought those were about Jesus, right? Rose of Sharon, lily of the valley, those are names of Jesus. They were names of the beloved here. And he replies, like a lily among thorns, so is my darling among the young women. And she says, like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, so is my love among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. And he brought me to the banquet hall. And so we sang the songs. It was all about Jesus, right? He brought me into the banqueting table, his banner over me as love. It says, He looked on me with love, sustained me with raisins, refreshed me with apricots, for I am love sick. And these fruits, just to let you know and I don't think that it means everybody ought to leave here and run to the produce section this afternoon, but those were fruits that were considered aphrodisiacs of the day. And so when it's mentioned in there, it's saying this is a real romantic, passionate love that pictured something. Well, why do we sometimes take these words in the Song of Solomon and ascribe them to Jesus Christ and his church? Does that really make sense? Well, that happened because a lot of people years ago, a lot of scholars looked at the Song of Solomon and said, there's no way stuff this graphic could really be in the Bible there's no way that the Bible can speak this sensual and, and, and be so PG-13 or even rated R in places, and we'll skip some of those spots this morning. And uh, there's no way the Bible can talk about these things because, you know, religion should avoid these subjects. And, and you know they're partially true. Now, I take the Song of Solomon very literal. I think it's about a literal relationship, conjugal love, marriage, the honeymoon, and what it should be. But it is also a picture of something. Your marriage, the courtship, the marriage, the honeymoon, all of that, even your, the rest of your life together should picture something. The wedding day should picture it as good as anything that we ever see, and that is that covenant relationship that we enjoy, that we celebrate, that we throw a feast to celebrate not just on the wedding day, but anniversaries and every occasion we get, we celebrate the fact that our marriage should picture the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel that should be made available to all people. Now, I see it happen when I'm officiating weddings, but I remember especially when I was the groom standing at the front of a church, and my wife came through the back doors. I just realized she We were talking about this yesterday. When she came through those back doors and her father was about to walk her down the aisle, she had this look on her face like, I I can't see him. And she said, well, you know, because her her need for glasses came before mine, right? And she said, "I I realized how poorly I could see without my glasses. And so she had this look on her face, but quite honestly, I see it on a lot of brides' faces. When they look down the aisle, they've got this look on their face like this. Is he there. Is he there? Is he going to be there? And you realize that that picture, that scene at a wedding is a picture of Christ and his church because one day Jesus Christ is going to step out on the clouds of glory and he's going to call his bride home. And there's going to be the great consummation and wedding feast of the Lamb where the bride and the groom are united. That is a very picture of the rapture, the snatching out of the church when that bride comes forward. And so with anticipation, we look forward to that moment. And the honeymoon then becomes a picture of what heaven is all about. It's the closest thing we can get to this side of heaven. Is, that's all pictured in the marriage, the wedding, the honeymoon, and the relationship. I love what the hymn writer said. When our Lord comes in glory and we're raptured to his side, when that bright and glorious moment we shall see, we shall know our dear bridegroom as he comes to take his bride and he'll know the bride he's loved so tenderly. We shall know him, we shall know him. We shall see him our bridegroom glorified. We shall he shall know us, he shall know us. We're his church, his beloved, his bride. And so we've got a purpose in our marriage and it's to picture That covenant relationship. So we should take it very seriously. Even the romance, which leads us to the second purpose. When it comes to romance in marriage, marriage was designed to provide the greatest companionship and relationship intimacy this side of heaven. Other than your relationship with Jesus Christ, the greatest intimacy, the greatest companionship should be between you and your bride. Again, that's a little taste of heaven. The physical union is so much a part of that. And that's why in Proverbs chapter 5, he didn't shy away. As a loving doe, a grace will fall, and let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost or intoxicated in her love forever. Why would you embrace a forbidden woman? Why, Why would you betray your wife? He says. It's a picture of what God intended that intimacy to provide. In the New King James Version, that word says, enraptured, caught up in that moment. And so that's what your home should be. That's what your marriage should be. That taste of heaven on earth in that relationship, as much as we can experience. Solomon would go on in his song to describe this in uh, the Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And I'm going to let the word speak for itself with little commentary and the Holy Spirit to give you understanding of these words, but what marriage could be a picture of. Now, in some of your Bibles, and some, some of them say the beloved, and some say the lover, and when you read it in, in the translation that I'm using, you see that there are letters like M and W to let you know who is speaking. Is it the man, or is it the woman, or is it, you know, the the, the sisters of the are the brothers of the bride. Who is speaking here? So that's what those letters are for. Kind of lets us know who's doing the talking in this dialogue. But in chapter, in Song of Solomon chapter four, let's start with verse nine, and, and this is the man speaking. He says, "You have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your love is, my sister, my bride." Your love is much better than wine, and the fragrance of your perfume than any blossom. Your lips drip sweetness like the honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden and a sealed spring. Speaking of her faithfulness and how this was only available to him. "'Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates "'with choicest fruits, henna with nard, "'nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, "'with all the trees and frankincense, myrrh and aloes, "'with all the best spices. "'You are a garden spring, "'a well of flowing water streaming from Lebanon.' "'And she replies, "'Awaken north wind, come south wind, "'blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of his spices. "'Let my love come to his garden "'and eat its choicest fruits.' I have, the, the man then replies, come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spices. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. I drink my wine with my milk. The, others, the narrator says, eat, friends, drink, be intoxicated with love. Enjoy marriage to the fullest. I sleep, she says, but my heart is awake. A sound, my love is knocking Open to me, my sister, my darling, my love, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my hair with droplets. And so here she is in the chamber, uh, this palace chamber. I have taken off my clothing. How can I put it back on? I have washed my feet. How can I get them dirty again? My love thrust his hand through the opening, the window there in the door, and my feelings were stirred for him. I rose to open for my love. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handle's Of the bolt. I opened to my love, but my love had turned and gone away. I was crushed that he had left. Man, does your wife get upset when you have to leave? When you have to, whether it's go to work or go away on a business trip or something like that, she was crushed that he had to leave. I sought him, but I did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The guards who go about the city found me. They beat and they wounded me. They took my cloak from me. The guardians of the walls. Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you: if you find my love, tell him that I am lovesick. Tell him I can't wait to see him. That again is a picture. Now, listen. That's, that's why I tell couples when I'm doing premarital counseling. Plan that sometimes they'll say, "Well, we're going to have a honeymoon six months after we get married," or we're going. And I usually say, "Listen, this might be the one chance in your life." to be together without kids, without somebody to bother you, without phone calls, without the job or or whatever, but protect that time, guard that time. It's not just the sensual aspects, it's the fact that you're together celebrating life and a future together and picturing everything that marriage should be in that moment. They were lovesick, (laughs) intoxicated with love for each other. You remember that? Some of us lose that along the way. We lose that passion we lose that romance or we think, sometimes men, we think, well, I've got her now. That's all that matters. She said, yes, she's got the ring. We're good to go. Don't ever lose that love and that passion. Make time for it. Do all you can to protect that. Those of you with little kids in the home, I spoke with our couples yesterday. Listen, find those babysitters. Find those grandparents and make time to just enjoy each other. And I'll tell you, those days never, it's hard to get that back, that, that, that honeymoon moment, that moment you get away and you just forget about everything. You don't worry about anything. You don't have to call and check on anybody. I remember when we got married, we told some the story the other day. We're headed down the road, and, and we got married in Burlington. We're headed to western North Carolina to the Grove Park Inn, and I'm driving a, a frozen biscuit. And that's because Tina's brother and the groomsmen found our car, that we thought was well hidden, but they found it. They covered it with toilet paper and flour. Then a freezing rain started as we're driving west. And so this green Nissan Altima has become a white, frozen biscuit going down the highway. Any other time in my life, I would have been furious. I would have been angry. I would have been ready to go back and choke somebody and kill somebody, but I wasn't turning around. This was my honeymoon. And I was with the love of my life, my dream girl, and nothing was going to spoil that. Nothing was going to ruin that. And we would laugh about how we washed that car later on, and there, there was even a leaf that was fossilized into the car somehow. Don't know how that happened. But the, those moments, And what happens later on, 20 years, 30 years, after we've been married, trivial things, something that causes much less damage much less frustration, trivial things cause us to forget how in love we once were. We should have been like Zach Williams singing, ain't nothing gonna steal my joy. Keep singing that song. You'll be surrounded by problems, tricks, attacks, and challenges, but keep your eyes on each other and keep your eyes on Jesus to provide the greatest companionship and relationship intimacy this side of heaven. And finally, purpose number three, and this is the one the couples in premarital counseling almost never get to, and yet it is so vitally important. What did God create Adam and Eve to do? He said to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Family was the first unit for multiplying worshipers of the one true God and in the New Testament making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so in chapter five in verse 18, when he talks about, the not letting or or why should your waters overflow into the streets that is all a picture uh, of illegitimate children in that setting in the new uh, new covenant new testament we might understand that as the fact that there are people who are unreached and unloved in the world today that need the lord jesus christ so in the old testament multiplying the kingdom was primarily through have as many children as you possibly can Not that that's bad advice. Some of you, as soon as you got married, a mom or a grandmother, somebody said, now go have some children and have a bunch of them. And some of you have definitely done that. The New Testament is not only about winning those children to Jesus, but having spiritual children in addition to those children. Reaching more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we are fathering and mothering people in the faith. Leading people to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. So why do you want to get married or why did you get married? I want that young couple to look at me and say because together we're going to be a team for the Lord Jesus Christ. And together God's going to use us missionally to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have to say this with all my heart, I believe this with all my heart, I'm a better pastor, I'm a better Christian, I'm a better witness because of my relationship with Tina. She completed me to make me what I needed to be for God's glory. You don't have to be a vocational evangelist or called to an international mission field to do that. All of us are called to be on mission. When I think of the mission field, I think of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They had a heart as a young couple to see people know Jesus and they pictured doing that as a married couple. Jim Elliott wrote, he is no fool if he would choose to lose what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose before he gave his life trying to reach the Alka Indians. And when he died on that mission field, she followed in his steps. Elizabeth Elliot went there and she would later say, nothing is worth living for unless it's worth dying for. And so this young missionary couple, along with their friends, reached other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my challenge today is, yes, renew the romance in your marriage. Be reminded that you're here to be a picture, a little picture of the big picture, God's covenant love for Israel, or Christ's love for his church. But recommit yourself this morning, couples. And for those of you who are single that are saying, I hope to be married or married again, whatever the case may be, commit yourself to say, say, I want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want our marriage to be on mission. We want to present a challenge to our children to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say that that's the purpose of my marriage? to show people Jesus so that as a family we'll reach our children, we'll reach our neighbors, we'll reach the nations with the gospel. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?